ברוכים הבאים, שם השם, בשבס, פרשת פינחוס. פינחוס is written, sometimes חוסר, sometimes מולי. פיוד נון חסמך, sometimes it's פי נון חסמך. When you write it mole, it causes a problem to the uh, riddle. The riddle we used to say as children yet. Save, save, tchila shmi. Tchila save, save shmi, bemtza teve nechnas neach. Ma shmi. If save, save, the end of the letter of the word. Saif, the last letter is Fei, is the beginning of my name. And then, Tchila Saif, the beginning of the word Saif, which is Samach, is the end of my name. And Bemtza Teva, Teva meaning not only the Ark, but also referring to the word. The middle of the word comes Neach, and Nun Ches comes the name Pinchas. When you spell Mole with a Yud, you have a problem. You can't use that riddle. Which would be devastating to our uh, our youth and our upbringing and our childhood. It would be totally traumatic. Um, Pinchas Mali. Pinchas spelled with a yud. Is Gematria Yitzchok? We know that Yitzchok was Masakin from the three Tvilas. Yitzchok was Masakin. Take some Mizainis first, and then you make some Mizainis. Take a piece of Mizainis first. After you make a Brach of Mizainis, then you take a uh, Eitz. And uh, there's no Hadama here. Oh, there is. The, the South House? Mm-hmm. No, you're eating rice without washing for bread. Eating well, rice without washing for bread is a catastrophe. Yeah, there's no. Should I take a piece of bread? I'll go wash for a piece of bread. Wash first. <laughs> Get the bread first. Where's the bread? <laughs> Got to make sure there is. I mean, can rice be mazainas? Come on. Rolls on water. We'll get some emails for that one. Um, Pinchas is Gmatri Yitzchok. Our Oves, each one of the Oves established a certain Tfila. Between Tfilas, Shachris, Mincha, and Mairiv. Avram established the Shachris, Yitzchok, Mincha, and Yaakov, Mairiv. We did once explain this in a year prior, so we're not going to go into that right now. But Yitzchak established Mincha, and we know when the Nevi'e Abal opposed Eliyahu Anavi, and they were going to try to prove that their God was the real God, And the story of the two mountains, where they set up their Aved on one mountain, they set up a, a, a an altar to bring a sacrifice for their mountain, for their, what they call their god. And as they set up the altar, they put their sacrifices on the altar, would try as they may and do what they tried, nothing happened and nothing became of it. 
therefore, it was only Eliyahu, Eliyahu was mispal to the Ebishter. Eliyahu was mispal, God, we pray, pray to God. And his carbon was then accepted. So the tzvila which he davened at the time was the tzvilas of Mincha. Which therefore Pinchas, as we know, Pinchas is Elio, which is an ironic thing in its own. Pinchas being Eliyahu should be actually the other way around. Wow. Truth is that Pinchas ultimately is Eliyahu. However, that came about where there's a idea, there's an opinion that Pinchas passed away when he killed Zimri. And therefore the neshamas that came into him, the question of where the neshamas, what neshamas were they? According to one opinion, it was the neshamas of the souls of Nodav and Aviyu that entered his body. And therefore, the neshamas of Nodav and Aviyu entered his body and therefore he became a Kayin, a Kayin Gadol. Actually, about to, now that we actually can start the shir, we're dedicating the shir tonight for Schus of Rufus Shlema for Chaya Baslea. Shav Rufus Shlema, Shav Rikas Yom, Vishan and Tevis. Also, tonight's shir is Ilan Nishmas Sel Ben Pinchas. The outside is Chav Beis Tammuz tonight, tomorrow. It's not a candle. Does anyone know where the candle is? Yes. Think about it. Think about it all day long, and we don't do it. Okay. Pasuk of the parsha begins off. Pinchas ben Alazar ben Rashi, as we spoke many times, comes to explain what's known as Pshutei Shal Mikra. And Rashi tells us on the words Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron as follows: The fish hayu. Pinchas now killed Zimri, a Nasi of a Shevet, a head of a tribe. And the Shvatim were mevazim oisai, they were embarrassing him. Her Isem, did you see Ben Puti Zeshepitam Avi Imei? Agolim Lavedis Elidim. Did you see this fellow? 
the child, the result of a child, the grandchild actually, whose father, his grandfather used to stuff animals, live animals, to be able to brought up for Avedizara. And this grandchild had the audacity of a Harag Nasi Shevet Yisrael and killed a Nasi Shevet Yisrael. So they were trying to mock him, they were trying to humiliate him and make fun of him with this. Therefore, says Rashi, that the Almighty, accepting this act that Pinchas had done, and not just accepting it, not just allowing it, but and more so, that he says, the Almighty says, he avenged my revenge. So says the Tata, who is this fellow? Not the grandson of Yisrael, the one that was stuffing the Avedizaris, but rather, the Fichach Ba'akosu V'yachsu Acher Arin. Therefore, the Pasuk comes and tells us that he was Arin's grandchild. Barach HaTad, Yenayin Lachal Berimu Technically, Rashi is confusing our Mechamish the Mikra. Rashi, who prides himself always with the fact that he can, that he wants to explain. To the Benchamish, the Mikra. What? That he wants to explain to the Benchamish, the Mikra. To that child learning Chumash. So he should not have any questions on the Pasuk. So he's clarifying that Yis- that Yisrael was indeed a grandfather, but that was not the crux of it. That was not what the Pasuk was trying to tell us. Actually, the Torah was trying to tell us was that Aaron was his grandfather. Important to note Rashi writes a title for his Rashi. When he explains words of the Pasuk, he writes a Dibra Maskal. Title. And based on the title, we know what Rashi is going to explain. We know what words concern Rashi. So Rashi takes the words of the Apostle, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKayim, and he explains that he ultimately was a grandchild of Aaron. Omitting, although he wrote in the Dibbe HaMaschal, Aaron HaKayim, in the explanation, Rashi tells us, he only says that he was a grandson of Aaron. He omits the fact that he was a Kayan. Because they were talking about the grandfather Yisrael, who had a terrible, terrible name, which we're soon going to discuss, 
the Torah is trying to exonerate Pinchas to tell us he had a grandfather from the other side who was Aaron. The embarrassment that they said about Pinchas Rashi tells us in Pasha's Yisrael, Rashi explains why was his name Yisrael. Yisrael, his name was Yisrael because Hayamakir, he recognized, he knew and served every Avedizara in the world. This fellow Yisrael, before he became Jewish, served every given Avedizara. He was a priest in every given Avedizara. Any type of idol worship there was in the world, he did. <coughs> in that case, what are the Shvatim making fun of, of Pinchas? That yesterday was Pitim Agolim Lavedizara that was stuffing cows, oxen for Avedizara. <coughs> Susan. They should have just said that Yisrael was a fellow that served every Avedizara. That would have been enough embarrassment. And therefore when the Pesach comes to praise, Pesach says, Pinchas ben Allah ben Aaron HaKoyim, which tells us that Pinchas had he had Yichas he had um, pedigree. His pedigree was he was the son of Elazar, who at the time was now the Kayan Gadol, because Aaron had passed away. And was the grandson of Aaron HaKayim. So Rashi has to ask. So we're asking Rashi, if he was the son of Elazar, is that not sufficient? Is it not enough to say that he was the son of the Cain Gadol, the current present Cain Gadol? They have to go back to the grandfather, Aaron? And by saying so, we are, in essence, skipping the generation of Elazar, and we're going straight to Aaron, and we're saying the grandfather was the person. And also when Rashi is explaining that they chose to tell about Aaron being his grandfather, <coughs> it should say Aaron Akayim, just like it says in the Pasuk, Aaron. It says Aaron, it should say Aaron Akayim. <coughs> so why then does the Pasuk, was Rashi only say when he goes back to referred to Pinchas' his grandfather, does he only say that the grandfather, that the, referred to his pedigree, does it only say the pedigree was the one, was Aaron, was Aaron and not even say Aaron HaKoyen? And doesn't refer to the fact that he was the son of Elazar, who was the grand, who was the Kain Godl at the time. We look now at what Rashi is telling us. Heschilu shvotim mivazin oisai They started the tribes started to embarrass Pinchas and make fun of him and humiliate him. And therefore the Pasuk tells us, Pinchas, If Rashi was looking to shorten his words, he could have just written, V'yachsu. That he was shown his pedigree. His pedigree. Who was his grandparent? Who was his father? So it does not say who they were because the Ben Chamesh and Mikra just learned the Pasuk. He looked, he saw Ben Pinchas Ben Allah, Ben Aaron So if he's looking to make a shorter version, which Rashi was very, very good at, Rashi was always able to squeeze into the smallest amount. If that's the case, then why don't you just write, Viyachsu? Stop. And the, the fact that he doesn't do that, and he says, Viyachsu Achat Aaron. So we understand that what was his intention? 
Dafke Aaron and not Elazar. Aaron without even Hakoyin. So what is Rashi actually getting at here? Let us first examine what was the humiliation, what was the complaint that the people had against Pinchas. They said he had pedigree from Yisrael who was a terrible person. Not just a terrible person, but he was an Achzer. He had a, a mean streak in him, by nature. Zimri brought the Midianis and he showed all the Jews that are marrying a Shiksa. He brought her in between the entire nation. And Pinchas was the only one that stood up against this. Pinchas was the only one that said, what's going on here? And killed him. So they asked, all the people asked, how is it possible the only one to stand up and do such a thing was Pinchas? Moshe Rabbeinu was standing there. He said nothing and did nothing. So why did Pinchas do it? <laughs> we know why. Not because he was such a good guy and wanted to complete God's will. But because he had in his nature this mean streak that he inherited from his grandfather Yisrael. So now we understand why the Pasuk doesn't say, Rashi doesn't say that Yisrael served all Ave the Zadis, but rather Rashi says that he stuffed the animal. Why was he stuffing these animals for the Zara? When you come and you feed an animal, over, you, you overfeed them, so they should be a fat karm. You give them the best and finest food. And then right away you take it and you kill it. There's no bigger axorius than that. You cannot be more disgusting and despicable than that. Why? Because the animal, it's like telling your donkey, come, let me feed you a lot of food so I can cut your head off. The animal, in essence, is being fooled. The animal is getting all this delicious food and thinking, oh, I'm being treated royally. I'm going to have a good life. I'm going to have a long life. Look how they feed me. Look how they take care of me. And then all of a sudden, after all said and done, with the animal so comfortable and happy, they go and kill the animal. It's And therefore they took this idea that Pinchas had that type of Achzarius in his system because the nature is capable of passing down from the mother to the child, coming from her father, And therefore they thought that's why he was the one that killed him. Not because he feared God, feared God or tried to do anything possible, positive. Now that we understand what it means, what the embarrassment that they were trying to um, pin on Pinchas with the Achzariyot of Yisrael, now we understand what the idea was that the defense was that he was Aaron's grandchild. Aaron was a was a Kayan, but more than just a Kayan, Aaron was known, and Pirkei tells us, Ayev Shalim, Vereidev Shalim. Aaron loved peace and always pursued peace. Aaron always looked to make peace between people. My grandfather was Shalim. I heard today from somebody that remembers my grandfather when he was a child back in the day in Borough Park. My mother's father. And this guy says, he, he quotes always my grandfather. What is, how does he quote my grandfather? He says, my grandfather used to say, a yid, a Jew, is like schnapps, like whiskey. There's good and there's better. No such a thing as bad whiskey. The Jew, that's how a Jew is. A Jew is always good and better. You don't say bad, about a Jew. So therefore, by trying to elevate Pinchas' status, by trying to show the greatness of Pinchas, 
it doesn't, it's not relevant to us the fact that he was the Elazar HaKoyen Godel's son, or the son of Aaron HaKoyen HaGodl, but rather just the fact that he was the son, the grandson of Aaron, Aaron with the attributes of Eiv Shalom, Reidiv Shalom, and Matl Ava. It would make no sense to say Pinchas Neched Aaron, therefore it has to say Pinchas Ben Allah Ben Aaron. It wouldn't make sense to write that it was just a grandson. So Allah is actually a, a conduit mentioned here. Because we want to mention Pinchas, we want to mention Aaron, therefore we use a conduit and we say Allah also. And now we understand why it says Aaron and not Aaron Akhayin. Because it was Dafka going to show the greatness of Pinchas, the refinement of Pinchas, and the love that Pinchas had for God and for Judaism. Let us ask a question. Pinchas, what were you thinking? What were you really thinking? Went and killed the Zimri. He deserved to die. He deserved to die. But why did you take it in your own hand? What were you doing? What were you considering? The Rebbe was the first Chabad Rebbe. His successor, his son, the middle Rebbe. His successor, his son-in-law, the son of Tzedek. His successor, the Marash. The Marash was a brilliant child. Like all the Rebbe Yimur. But besides being a brilliant child, he had a little bit of spunk in him, shall we say. He wasn't very healthy, physically, as was the Mitla Rebbe. But he had a lot of spunk. He could sometimes do things that surprised people. The Marash, as a child once, went to the shul, and he wanted to learn. He wanted privacy, he wanted to play. He was a seven, year, eight, seven or eight year old child. He wanted some privacy, learning with nobody. Shabbatim, he went up to the ladies' section, it was evening time. Nobody, no women were in shul. There was no men in shul even. And he took a found himself a nice quiet corner and he was sitting and learning. But, as life may have it, he hears the door downstairs open up. He comes quietly to the mechitza and he looks down and he sees a woman coming into shul. And she goes up to the holy ark, to the Aram Kedish, and she starts to cry out to God. She's crying. I'm a, or, I'm a widow. My children are orphans. I have no way of giving any parnasa. I have no way of supporting my family. Help me out to support my family. I can't go on like this. Give me a sign. Give me a blessing. Do something that I should be able to have parnasa. And she was never crying and sobbing. She didn't mean it for herself. She didn't want to become wealthy. She just wanted to be able to support her children, give her children what they needed. It's enough that I don't have a father, The Reb Marash, as we said, was a little bit of a kibitzer also. He felt terrible for that woman. But he also <laughs> was tickled pink by what he could say now. There was an echo in the shul. It was a very high ceiling. So Reb Marash started to echo his voice off the ceiling, says to sound like a godly voice. And he told her, "Don't worry. You will never be in poverty again." She froze. She hears the heavenly voice telling her this. How does he make sure she's not in poverty? 
So he tells her, I'm giving you, I'm bestowing upon you the power of healing. You'll be able to heal people. What will you have to do? When you come to a person that's not well, you will take a cup of water, you will make the bracha shahakal niyabedvare on the water, and then you will drink some, and they will, they will give it to them to drink. And when the sick person drinks it, they will become healed. Like I told you, he was a seven, eight-year-old little boy, and he was having fun like nobody's business. But bottom line, he was a Rebbe. Ultimately, he became a Rebbe. The woman was very, very happy. She was ecstatic. She backed out of shul, thanking and praising God, and she went out. And she let know the next day that she's a healer. And people mocked and laughed, and all of a sudden, Sarah became a healer. But then, um, somebody was very desperate, and doctors were not getting anywhere. So they came to her. They came to her, and she did her magic. She took the cup of water, she made a shahakal, she drank, she gave it to the fellow, the fellow was healed. <laughs> That's all you needed one time. <laughs> Word of mouth is better than a bag of feathers flying in a, in a, in a windy day. <laughs> and the line started to line up outside her door, and she was healing people left and right. I'm sure she had to run to the bathroom quite often, you know, drinking all that water. But... While she wasn't running to the bathroom, she was healing people. <laughs> yeah. Listen, at my age, when we drink more than two cups of water, sir, we actually got to run. Anyway, word got out, and Baruch Hashem, Sarah started to make a very nice living. People paid her well, especially people, the patients that were in dire straits. And she was indeed healing people, all from the bracha of the rabbi which she had no idea. She thought it was an angel of the God Almighty Himself. Many years later, the Rebbe Ramarash became Rebbe, and he developed a boil in his throat. A pus pimple inside his throat. The doctors were scared to operate on it, because he wasn't very healthy. But it was causing him difficulty to breathe. A lot of difficulty. And the doctors were at a loss, the chassidim were at a loss, they didn't know where to turn. Someone said in Vitebsk, there's a lady, Baba Sara, and this Baba Sara does healing. So the chassidim immediately ran and brought her. And she comes in front of the Rebbe, the Rebbe didn't know what she looked like. Especially not 25 years later. And she says she's going to get, she's brought in front of the rabbi to heal him. And the rabbi said, before you do anything, I have to know where you get your kayak. Oh, that was another thing. Before she left, he told her, but don't ever tell anybody where you got your powers from. She comes in front of the rabbi and the rabbi said, I have to know where you got your power from. I can't say. It's one to secrecy. The Rebbe told her, you know I'm a Rebbe. I know secrets. Mm-hmm. If I have to, I'll find out my ourselves. But I won't let you do anything until you don't tell me where it came from. So Babasada sat down quietly between her and the Rebbe. Everybody left the room. And she started to tell her story. She was a young widow. She went into shul. She prayed to God for Panasa. And God answered her. And she heard the heavenly voice tell her she should give people water from Shachal. The Rebbe started to laugh. He realized who this is. And that she's actually been healing. He was a seven-year-old child. What did he know? He started to laugh so hard that he burst the uh, pimple. <laughs> she was he burst the pimple and he started to spit out blood, whatever it was. And the doctors came in, they just had to clean up the wound and the devil was healed. <laughs> 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 so 
So we see sometimes the person, the messenger, if they're sincere enough, they accomplish what they have to do. And although that he was only, Pinchas was, who was he? Nobody knew him, nobody recognized him until now. But with his sincerity, he stepped forth, and he did what had to happen. But when the Nazi tells us to do something, we listen. It came now to dividing up the land of Israel and Pashas Pinchas as well, the dividing the land. The Torah tells us a very, very strange situation here. It went according to the amount of people you had in your shevet, in your tribe. It went according to a girdle, a lottery, where they chose, they picked out of the hats. And it also went according to the Urim Vitumim. What was there not sufficient by just asking Moshe, according to some opinions, the land itself said who it belonged to? Why do we need all these things, the raffle and everything else? There was a fellow that had a house, that had a store in Brownsville. And to his dismay, a grocery store. To his dismay, people started moving out and the neighborhood started changing colors. And it was, business was hurting and it was scary. He got to a point where he pushed it wouldn't replenish, it wouldn't fill up the shelves again. Things were just depleting, it was leaving, finishing. And he was with no cheshik to wake up in the morning. He had no drive in him. He lost his drive. Someone recommended that he goes to the Babacher Rebbe to talk to the Rebbe about this. Came to the Rebbe and he got an appointment in three weeks' time. He kids until he went into the Rebbe Yechidus. He went into the Rebbe Yechidus and the Rebbe and he wrote to the Rebbe the whole story. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want. He doesn't want to live there. He doesn't want to stay around there. People are leaving, but he doesn't want to close the store. This is his whole life. The store. So Rebbe asked him, "Bottom line, you want to close the store or not?" He didn't answer. There are people. There's a. They start explaining again the pluses and the minuses. Bottom line, the Rebbe said, "You want to close the store?" And he said, "No." So don't worry about it. Stay in the store. There's nothing to be frightened of, nothing to fear. You will make well there. You will support. He left a very, very happy man. The Rebbe gave him such blessings for his store. Several years later, as he was closing the shop, he had taken all the money out of the register and was still behind his counter when two African-Americans entered the store and one pulled out a gun. And he said, give us your money. And he, because the Rebbe told him not to fear, said, no. I give you anything. Get out of my store, you missionary. And the Shvats started to threaten, started to tell. Anyway, one guy jumped over, the, jumped towards the counter and reached over and the register was empty. So the man with the gun lifted the gun to the ceiling and shot two shots in the ceiling. That's to frighten him, to show him that I'm going to shoot. What he didn't realize is he was alerting the people outside. And uh, before they knew it, they heard sirens and police and everything else. They ran for their dear lives. And when the cops came in and asked him, how is it that you faced the barrel of a gun and you didn't give the money? So he told them the story that Rebbe told him not to worry and not to be frightened. So I stood there, and when this man stood there with a gun in my face, I, le- I saw the Rebbe in front of me. And headlines in the paper said that Rabbi saves robbery. Meshach Rabbeinu tells the Eden, I will not leave you a, shep- a flock without a shepherd. You will not be a sheep without a shepherd. He's calling them animals. 
you can just tell them you won't be a nation without a leader. By saying a, a, a sheep without a shepherd, you're calling them sheep, you're calling them animals, you're comparing them to animals. There was a chassid. His name was Nota or Nosen Barkan. It's called Notke Barkan. Notke Barkan had his roots in Russia, but he lived in that cell. And at one time he had gone to Russia to give chizuk to his old town people. And um, he came back to New York and he wanted to get a dollar. That was giving out dollars on Sundays. He was leaving Sunday afternoon. He wanted to get a dollar from the Rebbe before he left. So he stood on the line and he waited and waited. His flight was getting closer, but rather he was waiting for to get his dollar first. And finally his turn came. He came in front of the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave him a dollar, told him, Baruch HaVatzlocha. That was enough for him. And as he walked away, the Rebbe called him back and asked him, first can Brazil? You going to Brazil? He was going back to Israel. He was going back to Israel. And he said to the Rebbe, Yeah. <laughs> Obviously the Rebbe said, I'm going to Brazil, I'm going to Brazil. And the Rebbe gave him another dollar for success in Brazil. And that was it. And he went outside, he called his wife to Israel. He went to wherever he had to go to call his wife to Israel because there was no cell phones. And um, he told her, i got to change my ticket, i got to go to Brazil. The Rebbe just asked me if I'm going to Brazil. The kids, he arrived in Brazil, went into a hotel. He knew that the purpose wasn't just to fly here. He had something, he had a mission that the Rebbe wanted him to do here. And he had a few names and numbers of people that he had dealings with from Brazil. And he called a few people and he talked and they went. Day two, three days are there. He doesn't see the sign. doesn't see the reason. He had a brainstorm. He remembered back in Russia, there was a woman that lived next door to him and said she was moving to Sao Paulo. And he knows she moved here, but he has no idea what went away. He started to work and to think, and he found, he remembered her name, and he called her up. He called her up, and she uh, was very happy to hear from him. She said she would love to meet him. And she'd like to meet with him. So, he set up a date, a time, came over to the house, and... Um, They met. She says, no, I'd really like you to meet my son. And he sat down with the son. And they had a very, very pleasant conversation. The son was very happy to see a Yid from the old country speaking their language, their mother tongue. And it was a very, very beautiful time, conversation. Everything was going very well. And then the son had a question. His question was, Rabbi, tell me, is it so bad I marry a shiksa? So what are you talking about? So he started to explain how there's girls around and everything else, but he met this one very, very good, fine, pretty girl and everything. Very attracted to her. Very, they became very close. And they're engaged to be married. And... Um, Nothing. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't know why. So he spent a few hours discussing the cons of marrying a shiksa, telling him how his mother literally gave up her life in old day Russia, what she didn't do for Yiddishkeit. 
And now all of a sudden, you're going to take this all and throw it out. They sat until the wee hours in the morning. And finally, the boy understood and realized what he wanted. And he called up his mother and he said to his mother, I'm breaking off from the shiksa. The rabbi did a very, very good job. Said, Notke felt that it's not enough here, they're just going to leave this boy high and dry. He went to talk to people in the community and found a girl the right age and the right capacity. No. Compatible one with the other. Compatibility. And he made the shidduch. And he set them up, and that's how he left. About a year later, he got an invitation with a ticket to come to the wedding. They were getting married. So he understood. When the Rebbe wanted him to go to Brazil, when the Rebbe said, you're going to Brazil, there was no ifs, ands, and buts. The Rebbe says, you're going to Brazil, you're going to Brazil. We have also, in this week's Pasha, Yavim Tevim. All the Jewish holidays are mentioned here. And amongst the Jewish holidays, we have the last of the holidays, Shemini Atzeres. The Shemini Atzeres is an anomaly. Anomaly, 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 anomaly. The word's anomaly. It's a strange holiday. We have to sit in the sukkah for seven days. And then comes the eighth day. Shemini says, what for? Says Rashi, quoting Gemara, that the Almighty God says to the children of Israel, Moshe the Melech, the parable is that of a king whose children came to visit him for a short while. And after their visit of a week or whatever it was, they wanted to leave. And the king said, do me a favor, stay one more day. Kosha elai paridaschem. It's difficult for me that you are departing. And therefore the same says the tailor, Yishmini Atzeres. Says the Ebishter, stay one more day with me. And that's why this extra day was added to the Chagasukas. Now, let us do a little diktuk research, a little bit of uh, grammar. Kosha Pridaschem means that it's hard for me to see you're going in different directions. Does it mean? It's hard for me to part ways with you? No. If you wanted to say, it's hard for me to part ways with you, it would be, Koshalai Pridaseno. Our Prida, not Pridaschem. The Abish really is telling them something different. Abish is telling them, Kosha Elai Pridaschem. For seven days you are celebrating Sukkot together. Sukkot is a beautiful holiday. Simchas Beis HaSheva. They dance and they pour water and they all night long this goes on for a full week. There's nobody quarreling, there's nobody fighting, there's nobody arguing. People are going in harmony, living in harmony, there's nobody backstabbing, there's no business, there's no Lashon Hara, there's nothing, everybody's in complete and total unison. Now, you want to stop Yom Tif and go back to the regular daily life, and you go your way, you go your way, you talk about his business, who talks about his business. You do your thing, you do your thing. You help this one, you help that one, you don't help that one, you don't help this one. It's hard for me to see how you between yourselves are going to separate. So it says the Ebesh, they give me one more day of united of being together.
Many of our stories we take from a fellow named Rabbi Tuvia Bolton from Yeshiva's Eretz It's www.eretzminim.com Rabbi Tuvia wrote a story about an airplane. He has a wonderful custom. As a lot of Chabad they can do. When we're on an airplane with a bunch of Jews, we ask them all if they put on tefillin yet. And those who didn't, we give them the opportunity to put on tefillin. And what he does is he goes to the back of the plane, he takes out his tefillin, and he goes from one man to the next, especially if he's flying El Al, it's a good chance the man is Jewish. Towards the front of the plane was a decently dressed fellow in a suit, no tie, shirt open a little further, a high necklace. And he comes to him and he says to him, Shalom, would you like to put on tefillin? Guy just staring at him. Maybe he doesn't understand English. Shalom, same blank stare. Nothing. He says, okay, have, have a nice day. And he starts going further. And he hears the fellow saying, I will not put on tefillin. No way will I put on tefillin. So the chassid turns around, if Tuvia turns around to him and has this look like, what did I do? Why are you punishing me? What did I say wrong? And he says to him, excuse me, Rabbi, it has nothing to do with you. I don't put on film for anybody. I come from this in this town. Everybody in the town knows me there. The rabbi of the town sees me and he comes across to greet me. He shakes my hand with both hands. I'm a very loved person, beloved person. Everybody has covered for me, and I have covered for them. I do favors for people galore. But villain, I won't do. Thank you. He says, I was in Auschwitz. I was in whatever other concentration camp he was in. And I swore off no villain. <laughs> Bolton was quite taken back by the story but he says, I'm sorry and they both shed tears together and Rabbi Bolton kept going he came to the front row of the plane and uh, he asked the fellow and the guy says listen, I'll be honest with you I haven't put on someone since my mitzvah and I'm not really interested and the wife Turns to the husband. It says, "Eh, what's going to happen? What's going to hurt? You didn't put on since you so put on film. What's going to be matter? You see, a good wife can make a man, a good wife, a good person. That's a a wife that's supportive of the husband can make a husband go very far and accomplish a lot of things. And." He says, all right, if it'll make you happy. He stands up, he rolls up his sleeve and says, now what's look? And as they were standing there for a few seconds, Rabbi Bolton had him wrapped up. He wrapped him up, put on the tefillin, made the brachas, and they davened. The excitement, the joy. Since his mitzvah, he hadn't put on tefillin, now he's finally put on tefillin. And the wife says, tell me, did you go to Jacob? Says, Who's Jacob? Says, Our friend Jacob. Before she even finished the sentence, who's Jacob? Our friend Jacob was standing there. Says, 
Our friend Yaakov, the one that told him, no way I'm putting on Phil, and was standing there. And he says, uh, um, he didn't want to, he was this, the cancer So she says, excuse me, we went to the same concentration camps together. We know exactly what he went through. And she turns to me, she says, yeah, Jacob, don't be foolish. He put on, you put on, it's not going to hurt you. Jacob didn't know what to say, and it was back, and it was forth. And she pushed the issue until finally Jacob rolled up his sleeve and put on the till. He gave him the siddha to Davin, and he was bawling like a baby. He cried like a baby throughout. And then afterwards, the wife said, You know, it's a mazel tov, really. It's like you both had nuba mitzvahs. Sarah by Bolton was a live little fellow. He grabbed their hands and he started to dance with them to sing a song they might know, Am Yisrael Chai, so that they could dance and they could sing and they sang, sang and danced for their Nuba Mitzvah. Mm-hmm. So we see, therefore, that Tera has its way of telling us how a Mitzvah has to really, really be accomplished. During the three weeks between Shavasim and Thomas and Tisha B'Av, Moshe, huh? Ah, yes, our dear listener Moshe has uh, had a birthday this week, and I was supposed to come on Shabbos to Fabreng for him, but I only found out on Matzah Shabbos, so it was a little difficult for me to turn back the clock to go. Like to wish him and Masha, I'll know that you listen till the end of this year if you'll come and thank me for the happy birthday wish. Um, during the three weeks between Shivasabatamas and Tishabov, it is customary to learn the laws pertaining to Hilchas Beit Sabahira, to the building of the Holy Temple. There are three places, basically, where we find these laws. One is in the Navi Yecheskel, which is a prophecy that he talks about the third temple. The second is Mishnayis Midas, which is the entire Mesechta, talks about the temple, the second Mesechta. And the Tana, basically, is Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov. And the third is Hilchus Rambam, in Rambam Hilchus Beis HaBechirah. So we'll take a second, a few moments, and we'll mention a single thing, a single halacha. We'll mention from each one of these three. In the Navi Yecheskel, Yecheskel has a prophecy in which the Malach took him out of Bavel and brought him to Harabayas. Took him from Babylon, brought him to the Holy Temple Mount, and there was the third temple standing. And the Malach had a yardstick and a thread for measuring. And we'll move ahead a little bit, we'll fast forward, and he says, He refers to this angel as Ha'ish. And this Ish spoke to me, and he said, Ben Adam, man, son of man, see with your eyes, and with your ears hear, and pay attention. He's telling him to use all your faculties. And this is a, in itself, in its own right, a lesson. How a person has to ultimately accept and understand something. That is words of Teda. They have to totally devote their eyes, ears, and heart. To what? Everything I'm going to show you. For in order to show you it was a Hena, I brought you here. And why did I do that? Hagid, Hagid, the I want you to tell everything to the Jewish nation. 
This is ultimately the most important pasuk of the entire prophecy of Yechezkel, in that very simply, the reason that the angel brought Yechezkel to Harabayis is so that Yechezkel should see and relate to the nation that there is a third temple. It's made, it's completed. And do not despair in the exile. Do not despair Thank you. after the destruction of the second temple that God forbid we've been forlorn and forsaken. There is a third temple. It is built. I've seen it. And I can tell you all about it and all its measurements. Now we mentioned before that Elazar ben Yaakov is a Tana Mesechus Midis. Um, basically, it means, excuse me, I don't recall where I saw it. Elazar ben Yaakov was from the oldest of the generation. He was from the few that really remembered exactly what went on in the temple. I think they based that on one of the places in Perik Bays where he says there was a point in the Mason, in the base of Migdash. What did you give me here? Uh, me? Yeah. You were sneezing before. Five minutes. Okay. It says, Kalei Tzim Okay. Sveinus the northern western, Yeretz Lishka Samitzeroim, Maravis Deremis, the um, sheesh, western southern point. I forgot what they use it for. Which means to say that he was the authority of everything that went on in the second temple. He was the one that still remembered everything. And this particular thing he forgot. Another time that says what he thought it was. A Mishnah that we would learn about that I think is very, very interesting to mention. Well, this starts, boy, it doesn't leave up. There were 21 places that the Mesut Mingus had, had guards. The Levium had to stand guard, and they were not allowed to fall asleep on their guard, on their post. Isharabayas, the Mishnah tells us, Perik Aleph, Mishnah Beis. The supervisor, known as the Isharabayas, he would go around by each shift. And there were torches lit in front of him. Torches. Any guard that did not stand up when he came by, the Isharabayas said, Shalom Alecha. Peace unto you. If Nikar, it was recognizable, Shoyishan, that the guard fell asleep. He would hit him with his stick. The Isharabite, the supervisor, would hit the sleeping lady with a staff. Not only that, says the Mishnah, or the Shus he had permission to burn his clothing while he was wearing it. <laughs> and the people would say when they heard screaming and yelling, what's the screaming over there in the, in the courtyards? And everybody would laugh and say, it's the voice of a Ben Levi getting beaten. That he fell asleep on his mishmah and therefore his garments were lit on fire. And Elazar ben Yaakov then says, "Pamachas one time, Matzu asachi ima, the brother of my mother, was caught yishan sleeping beside face kusay, and they burnt his garments." So we see, therefore, that there was very, very serious consequences to be paid if, God forbid somebody managed to fall asleep.
The Rambam is a very quickly one halacha. We know that the stones that we use for the Mizbeach had to be whole. But the stones of the Mizbeach, very, very interestingly, had another another intricacy that involved them. They were not allowed to be touched by metal. And therefore there is a special cloth they used to wipe it down. And they had to make sure if they used a stick that the metal didn't touch the stone of the Mizbeach. Should a stone of the Mizbeach be touched by metal, it had to be removed from the Mizbeach and replaced. Why? Because that was the law, because the metal is both living, it's for death and for sacrifices. And therefore we didn't use it for on the Mizbeach, which was ultimately where the sacrifices were brought. And therefore it's brought down in Tzavos Vivash from the Balshemtov. They say it's from the Balshemtov that we don't put a metal mezuzah case either. For mezuzah case, it should not be metal, because it's metal is not the... And, of course, we know that during these three weeks, most importantly, is that we should redeem everything with tzedakah, and we were redeeming it by redeeming that ourselves. Ultimately, we will be redeemed. We will merit within these three weeks to see the binyan Base Hamidash Hashlishi, Mehera Viamenu, Ulas, Hamitus Hashlema, Mashiach Tzadkenu. Amen. Chaim Shalom, Shabbat Shalom.